Money FM 89.3. Best of the evening runway. Eurowatch. Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon. It is the evening runway. I'm Elliot Danker. It's time now for Eurowatch, where we analyze some of the biggest headlines from out of the European region. The world's first major summit on artificial intelligence safely opened in the UK yesterday. Political and tech leaders set to discuss possible responses to the society-changing technology. It happens to be word of the year, right? The summit is led by UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, who has called AI the defining technology of our time. So what should we consider as a success from this uh, summit and how can they work together to manage the opportunities as well as risks of AI? Well, on the line with me this afternoon is Jedamir Nestravik, Professor of Geopolitics, Essex Business School, Asia Pacific. Professor, bonjour. I understand you're in France. Bonjour, Eliud. Bonjour. Yes, I am in the city of love. Do you want to come? I would love to. Yeah, it would be a nice break from this. Uh, we can drink wine and enjoy the afternoon together. <laughs> Professor. Exactly. Apart from that, though, there are some serious issues to talk about. The first major summit on AI. I'm sure this is something that uh, has been on your mind quite a bit. Political tech leaders all catching up to do this. It's led by uh, UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. Uh, I believe the US Vice President Kamala Harris is there as well. UK Chief Ursula von der Leyen, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, all in attendance. What are your first impressions of this, Professor? Well, my first impression is that it was long due. Uh, since we started to talk about artificial intelligence, maybe we didn't realize how important it was, but with the development in the military sector and the development of the chat GPT, we suddenly realized how important it was. So it was long due, but fortunately it happens today. So let's see how it unfolds, but it was long due for me. Yeah, but how how do you think, I mean, I, I agree with you, it's long due. You've got uh, the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak saying, this is the defining technology of our time. Do you have any thoughts on how he has led the conversation around AI when you consider uh, the UK's role in, in all of this? I think that he acted mainly as a mediator. As we know, the UK is not a big player in mm. artificial intelligence. The two big players are the United States and China. So if both of them come, in that case, the UK can be a facilitator, but not as a big player in there. So the fact that the Vice President uh, Kamala Harris is coming is a very big, uh, a very big commitment on the side of the United States. We have to see who on the Chinese side uh, will come there in order to assess what would be the uh, scope, what would be the outcome of that. You read my mind, Professor, how the Chinese side will react because let's face it, they are a big player when it comes to the wall of tech. Do you see their reaction or their participation uh, affecting the outcome of the summit? Everybody will come. Everybody agrees that it has to be uh, regulated to some point. Now, I am sure that not everybody agrees on 
building, let's say, a global body or a world body which will monitor what is happening there. As you know, uh, all the countries, they are jealous of their sovereignty, so it will be very hard to accept this. However, I don't think that we will achieve very much if there is not a monitoring system mm. of this kind. Mm. Uh, just, uh, just on that note, Professor, if you don't mind, slightly to veer off a little bit, where does the law come into play in all of this? Because there's long been this debate that there is a lack of a proper technology law. Every country is different. But if we're talking about AI, then there are no borders when it comes to this. Exactly, exactly. History shows that tech was always, let's say, a generation ahead of the law. Mm. The law is always lagging behind. It, it is always trying to fix things <laughs> rather than to put the boundary. Yeah, How yeah. can we develop something? So I don't think that from the legal point of view, we can expect very much. I would say that the political leaders will agree on something and they will ask the legal experts, please do something. <laughs> as, as things tend to happen, Professor. Okay, moving on <laughs> to talk about Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, has sought to convince European leaders to put pressure on Egypt to accept refugees from Gaza. Now, the idea which he put forward in meetings with European officials last week floated in private discussions that, of course, led up to the summit of the EU leaders on Thursday and Friday. Friday. Professor, the idea seems to have failed to find traction in Brussels. However, uh, Cairo is in strong opposition of such a move. Could we get your perspective on why this is happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cairo has been uh, opposing this move for two reasons. The first reason is saying that if the Palestinians leave Gaza, very probably they will never come back. So they don't want that the Palestinians are losing their territory there. They're looking at what is happening in Lebanon after Nakba, that is after the catastrophe, Mm. and they see that for decades people did not come back. So this is one reason. And the second reason, they fear that some uh, Hamas fighters will also come to Egypt with the exodus of the Palestinian population, and they don't want them. Mm. Uh, Professor, we also have uh, the first groups of injured uh, Gazans and foreign passport holders evacuated to Egypt through the Rafa mm. crossing yesterday. Um, talking a little bit about developments with regard to this, but I, I think wider implications, questions will still continue to be asked on EU leaders playing a bigger role in changing this side of the narrative. I think that the narrative is shifting a little bit because uh, Hamas is uh, making concessions. Okay. They are letting people go out. They are letting uh, foreigners to go out. Maybe they will even release some of the hostages. So probably in the, on the whole scale, they will score some points. On the Israeli side, not at all. But the world opinion matters, so I believe that they are scoring points there. Mm, okay. Uh, Professor, uh, French President Emmanuel Macron is in Central Asia this week uh, to visit Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, two suppliers of the uranium that powers the country's nuclear reactors. Now, uh, Russian oil exports to the EU have dropped quite a bit since the invasion of the UK. Kazakhstan is now the EU's third largest petroleum supplier after Norway and the United States. Um, Professor, can I get your thoughts on this? Uh, this yet is another narrative that is shifting the increase importance uh, from this region to supply uh, Europe's uh, nuclear and fossil fuels. Exactly. Uh, Because uh, for the nuclear, uh, 
they did. We should only remember that quite a few years ago, yeah, yeah. everyone was against the nuclear. And now, because of the war in Ukraine, automatically nuclear is coming back. Yeah. So definitely, we have, uh, let's say, contradicting opinions about should we use nuclear or not. But it is a necessity today. So this is why he is going there in order to guarantee the supply. Otherwise, he wouldn't go there. The second thing is oil, but I think he is going here for the nuclear first. Okay. Um, and is it reading too much into this when you consider that the French President uh, Emmanuel Macron, that is, uh, visiting Kazakhstan, uh, the first time a French president has gone there since uh, back in 2014 when it was François Hollande? Mm-hmm. So there is also a diplomatic uh, play here Mm. because he certainly wants to judge uh, what is the support that Kazakhstan and the other Central Asian countries can give to Russia in the war uh, against Ukraine because they were not aligning 100% there. And maybe the second thing is also to judge what could be the reaction of Kazakhstan if something is happening in South China Sea or Taiwan. So this is also... So because Kazakhstan is just in the middle of both. So it is interesting to see how they react to Russia and China. You, you bring up a very, very good point, Professor, because it's amazing geographically where they're positioned. There's also a small issue of Beijing's economic footprint in Central Asia, the whole Belt and Road Initiative projects that have been funded mm-hmm. in Central Asia. Is Macron going to have to deal with this? Uh, does he bring some so, sense of, uh, I don't know, political weight? So, as you know, France <clears throat> has a history of uh, behaving independently right. and very often against the interest of the United States. So now we have to see how far France can go in establishing an independent policy. Now they're bonded also by the European Union, so they cannot have uh, free uh, reign concerning this. However, I'm sure that he would like to stress that France is independent, that France has a different policy, and that France can also uh, play a, let's say, facilitator uh, between the United States and China. All right. I have been speaking with uh, Cherubin Estravik, who is Professor of Geopolitics, Essex Business School, Asia Pacific. Merci, Professor. I think it's still quite early, so perhaps we start off with a bit of coffee and croissant in France, eh? Uh, I already had it. Ah. Now I'm going to see my students. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Thank Professor. you very much. Thank you. Take care, yeah? Thank you. Bye-bye. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.